Hello and welcome to On Mission, a podcast from the Catholic Apostolate Center. My name is Chris Pierno, and I'm joined tonight by Father Frank Donio and Kate Fowler, and we'll be discussing the Easter Vigil with our guest, Father Jim Sabak, the Director of Worship from the Diocese of Raleigh. Strap in, folks. Welcome, Father. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's very good to be here. So we were talking a little bit before um, before we got started recording, and a uh, great question we could start off with was, what is a director of worship? I think that's something that uh, people here, here get thrown around. What is? What do you do? Generally, for some, I'm the nemesis in the diocese. Ah. <laughs> But basically, um, basically, I am the uh, person who kind of tries to give a, a rhythm and a tenor to uh, the practice of worship and liturgy um, in a particular diocese. Um, and so it's understanding the traditions that have built, been built up in that diocese, but then also helping maybe to expand those or to enhance them or maybe to correct some of them too. So um, I, I work with the bishop. Uh, I work closely with the bishop, so I'm, res- I'm responsible to the bishop. Um, I follow him. I, I, I am his on-site person. So from confirmations, the, that, that's the big thing, to dedicating a church, to blessing a statue, uh, to showing up at a dinner and, and, and those kinds of things like that. So I, I get to see the, the diocese of the entire eastern half of the state of North Carolina. So I, I get to see wow. it. It's, kind of neat. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of a meeting all kinds of people who make, who make up a diocese in that way. It's, 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 it's a great honor. It's really and, and you're not a diocesan priest. You're a Franciscan. I'm a Franciscan, too. Okay. Which yeah, everyone, is another don't, don't turn of off the podcast. <laughs> don't turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, okay, there's all different types of Franciscans. What, yes. like, what kind of Franciscan are you? So. I, I, well, I am a, I am an OFM Franciscan, as yes. we just as, but, but all Franciscans are OFM Franciscans. <laughs> I am the one without a supplemental title. Um, and some would say that that's because we go straight back to Francis. Uh, but that's always a dicey thing to say. Uh, but we are kind of in the line of those who try to live the rule in as pristine a way as possible from the very beginnings of the order. Um, yeah. And so... It's probably safer to say that. And <laughs> that was one of the best things when I was going through th- through theology, and and there I had a number of Franciscan classmates from different communities, and all you had to say which which one of you is the oldest, and then walk away, and then they would all start <laughs> fighting with one another as to which was, except for the Capuchins, they kind of look pious and you know, <laughs> penitential and and so forth, you know, and let the conventuals and the OFMs go at it go in various. <laughs> Various ways. So, it was yeah, the, like 1472 or, all yeah, over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Order of Friars Minor. Wonderful. So much for so much for a CZ piece there. But oh, yeah, well, right. Exactly. Exactly. But that's a that's a really growing diocese, the diocese of Raleigh. I mean, it has a new big new cathedral. There's yes. it yes. seems a huge numbers of Catholics that nobody would probably expect, you know, no. that unless they live in that area. 
Yeah, no, 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 exactly. I mean, again, it's 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 the second invasion of the north <laughs> to come into the south, and and but it is because of industry. It's it's also because of education because you got Duke, UNC, NC State, all these major universities, you know, in that area. Um, but it's still, in some ways, it still is mission territory. Um, it's it, there are a lot more Catholics there, but it still is something to go out with ashes on your forehead and Ash Wednesday will still engender a lot of strange looks. Uh, so so evangel- the evangelical Christianity is very strong there. And so mm-hmm. it's so 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 it is a sense of um, still forging new 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 work and, and, and new ground there. Yeah. So, Father Jim, we were discussing tonight the Easter vigil and some Easter traditions. And mm-hmm. just a, what was it months ago, weeks ago, you wrote a book called Vigilemos et Oremus. Is that how? How are we Very good. Your, your Latin is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Kate's yes. been practicing all day. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Notice no one else even tried. You Nobody know. else. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I refrain. Great job, Kate. Thanks. Thank you for taking that for the team. Excellent. Yeah. No. Uh, about a year ago. Uh, it, it'll, it will be. It'll be a year. Um, actually, it was a year in March. A year in March I, that, 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 that I got it published. Um, and yes. Uh, so it, let us keep vigil and let us pray is the, is the English kind of translation of it. Uh, but it's the sense of what does it, what did it mean to vigil, um, in the tradition of the Western church? Um, and I looked at it between the fourth and the eighth centuries. So mm-hmm. it was, um, a kind, kind of archeology, span um, and, and ancient history, uh, because the practice of keeping vigil is something that was really taken up in Western Christianity more so than in Eastern Christianity. Um, and, uh, Things that happen at night are always fascinating because night is anything is possible at night. And so so the fact that the early Christians decided to pray um, and how they prayed and, and, and what went on in these things was was something that kind of drew me into looking at it and to, and to studying it. So, so that's part of that. Yeah. Well, that's an interest. That's a great place to start. You know, why the Easter Vigil? A lot of us, a lot of our listeners know, obviously, it takes place at night and, and there's all these very cool things involved. Yes. Uh, yes. But why, why, why does it take place at night? Why do these vigils take place at night? And, and how is it different, you know, maybe from a typical, uh, or, or I guess I should say, vigil, let's talk about the vigil first, and then maybe we can talk about, you know, Easter vigil and why is it different from a typical Sunday vigil? Right, right. Oh, that, that's great, Chris, because again, it's like, it goes along with that line, why is this night different from every other night, as you see in the Passover Seder, uh, so in the Haggadah. Um, but the thing that's that's fascinating about it um, is that vigil was considered in, among the ancients a very um, important prayer style. It's a prayer style as opposed to a title of, 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 of something, uh, but it was a very important way to pray, specifically because, again, scripturally, God creates out of darkness. Uh, again, so the whole idea of Genesis 2, Genesis 1, you know, whatever, there, there is darkness, and then from that comes life, comes light, comes whatever. And so the sense in which darkness is recreative, or it, or it has the potential for being recreative, and so uh, to place that understanding of um, creativity or recreation in the context of prayer um, is something that sort of draws um, Christians to wanting to to to, to to celebrate that particular 
style in, in, in a profound way. The other thing is, again, that like all kinds of things happen um, in Scripture at night. You know, again, so God uh, basically, Christ is born at night uh, and uh, Christ rises somewhere overnight after being laid in the tomb. And again, early in the morning of that first day of the week, while it is still dark, the tomb is empty. And so that this whole connection to the power of recreation, re re recreative activity you know, of, of God within that. Um, so there used to be many uh, kinds of vigils that would happen um, in the calendar in, among the ancients. It kind of gets reduced as, as, as you go in history, but it's gotten reduced into the contemporary world basically to the Easter vigil. Um, there are other vigils. There's a vigil for the birth of San John the Baptist. There's a vigil for the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul. There's a vigil for Assumption. Um, there was a vigil for St. Lawrence in August and a vigil for, um, what's his name, uh, St. Andrew uh, in, in, in November. Lawrence and Andrew's vigil drops, drops out, but we still have these strange vigils before John the Baptist, Peter and Paul, and the Assumption. Um, we also have a vigil for Pentecost, and there's a vigil for Christmas. And now in the third edition of the Roman Missal, we have a vigil for Epiphany, which, which we didn't have, but it kind of came back. Uh, so these particular times, you know, um, evoke something powerful. Um, and because of that, a vigil gets attached to them in some way to be able to stress the, the power of these saints or these moments in the life of, of, of Christ. The other thing that really has that dropped out in the reform of the calendar were ember tides, uh, which, which which were these weeks that happened in at, at at the different seasons uh, in, in in the calendar. Uh, so in March, in June, in September, and December, um, they were weeks that eventually evolved into weeks of penitence, you know, and sin, sorrow, and whatever, whatever. But they always ended with a vigil on Saturday night that consisted of six readings before an epistle and a gospel, a.k.a. similar to what it is that we celebrate with the Easter vigil. And, and that was maintained till the reform of the calendar, and it kind of still is. You can do this according to the reform of the calendar, but it's not necessarily something that's obligatory and, and observed everywhere. But the fact that these things happened at the changing of the seasons reveals something profound, again, about what the ancients thought about the power, cosmological power, because God is active there in moving from winter to spring, spring to summer, summer to fall. Um, and that in some ways there is divine energy or divine power that is elicited, you know, in, in this moment. And so you waited overnight to see this occur. Most people would think of this as so pagan, but it's not. It's a part of who and what we are as creations of God and, and all the things like that. So much so was that, that 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 celebration of vigil so important that Sunday becomes in Latin it was a Dominica vacat meaning an empty Sunday. You didn't need to have mass on Sunday because the Eucharistic liturgy that took you through the night from Saturday into Sunday was enough. And and again and it showed that we didn't need to sort of add to God's wonder and beauty because it's it's been done. Today we have Easter Vigil, then we have Easter Sunday Masses. Uh, but, uh, and people get confused with all of that, you know, and, and they think that the vigil, what a vigil is not, I just have to say this again and again and again, vigil is not Saturday Night Mass. Saturday Night Mass is an anticipation <laughs> of Sunday. And, that, that, and, the, and the reason why I say that is because the prayer texts, the readings for any vigil are always different than the prayer texts and readings for the day. It's, it's two different sets, but not Saturday Night Mass 
That's the same reading, same prayer text as you would have on a Sunday. So don't ever use the word vigil. It makes me, it irks me. Um, the, the other thing is that this is in no way similar to these things we call vigils after catastrophes. And after, and after all kinds of terrible things that happen in this world, we all gathered for a vigil and lit candles and cried. That's not the Christian understanding of vigil because you are always waiting through the night for God to do something wonderful and glorious. These things that society and culture call vigils with crying and candles and being at night is basically you just go home, perhaps even more sad than when you answered, or maybe there is some kind of resolution or, or, or resolve that happens after that. But, uh, but that's not what Christian vigil is. And, and it irks me too that when we use that, those are memorial services. I would be happy with that, but not calling them vigils. So there. Can you, Father, can you take us through Easter vigil? Ah. You know, how does that where do you know i think so a lot of some perhaps a lot of our listeners maybe they've never experienced it um maybe you know it's it's a tradition in their family that they do go to this uh-huh. um we know that there are there's a special uh you know the, the catechumens are received there's are received into the church could you take us through you know from beginning to end there, you know, what does it look like? You know, now I would remind you that the podcast is only so long. But, I know. You know yeah. not, not, the whole, not, not three hours long. Or, yes. or, and he's going to be in through the night. You know. No need to recite the entire vigil. But. I, do. I can do it by memory. No, but no, I think that um, it's, you know, that's a great, it's a great question, Chris, because um, contrary to popular belief or which, or, or no belief at all, because people are sometimes ignorant of this um, Christmas is not Christmas is not the most important celebration that we have in our calendar. Even midnight mass is not important. It is because it's what you do after you've eaten your fill on Christmas Eve and gotten drunk, and then you show up at mass. Um, the Easter vigil is 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 the culmination. Is it is the high point? Is the most important of all the liturgies. The problem with it, in one way, is well. First of all, the big problem is it's long, and unfortunately. Western Catholicism, especially, has gotten very used to half hour, 45 minutes, God forbid, an hour for Sunday Mass. And, and I, I remember being a, doing, doing a wedding in Massachusetts many years ago, in which the father of the bride came over to me and said, Father, we only like our Masses 20 minutes long. You think you can wrap it up in, in this amount of time? I just stared at him. And so, and so, but, but this is what we've gotten used to. And so anything that's more than an hour is considered overkill or tedious, time-consuming, error-prone, what have you. And the fact that the vigil has you know seven readings before an epistle and a gospel just frightens everybody to no end. You know, it's like to sit through all of that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to show up because I can go on Sunday and it's the same thing. No, it's not. But I can go up on Sunday and, and it fulfills you know an obligation. The other thing, unfortunately, that gets attached to the vigil is is, is initiation, um, and it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. It is also kind of a handicap. Because um, if I don't know anybody being baptized, why would I bother going? I'm not going to sit there and be around strangers. And the, and the whole reality is always that it's the community that welcomes individuals into the church, community that welcomes people into, that brings people to the waters of baptism and to the table of the Eucharist. So you should be there. But again, this whole idea of um, of, uh, of of knowing people and, and 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 of relationships and whatever it is kind of gets in the way. I don't know anybody being baptized. Why should I show up? Um, so, so it's hampered by, by, by those two things. The interesting thing about it, so if you look in the historical development, and this is not a straight line, there's a lot of overlap. The, the earliest ep, uh, uh, 
evidence we have of vigils is is that that was are those that were kept at the graves of the martyrs. So the at the, at, at at corpus at, at at the bodies of the martyrs, people would gather generally on at on, when they were interred on the anniversary of the internment of of the body, or when the body was translated and taken up and and from the grave and brought into a shrine or a church or something like that. Those kind of anniversaries would be something again you 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 would pass through the night and why because for a martyr they have experienced the resurrection in a way um and their bodies you know have have become glorified before their physical body has been glorified so it was this anticipation and again that movement from the darkness of death to life in light throughout 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 the night um that then influenced again the ember the, those these ember tide vigils they are even more ancient because they have a, a, a non-Christian Roman character to them whose origins are still lost in time. It's hard to kind of define, but they existed a long time before Christianity. Because of that vigil, the Easter vigil begins to be built up the way that it does. So the Ember Tides and the, and the Easter vigil have kind of a link in, in, in their development and their origin in, in the idea of a series of scriptural readings that draw attention to something powerful about God that then lead to a Eucharist. So the Easter Vigil, <clears throat> by and large, because of that, and again, the, the Ember Tides about God's recreative activity, the Easter Vigil is that writ large, first and foremost. Um, the definitive act of God recreating creation by destroying sin and death, bringing Christ back from the, from, from the dead, bringing him to new life that is beyond our imagining. The Easter Vigil gives the exclamation point to that, to which the ember tides were to show the ongoing recreative activity of God as we pass through season through season, as the calendar moved through time, again, moving towards that fulfillment at the end of time when Christ is all in all. And again, all of Revelation, see, I make all things new. Um, so the Easter Vigil, as first and foremost, a, 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 a liturgy of celebrating the definitive act of God's recreative activity is, is why that exists and why early Christians gathered. Because, though, of that sense of recreative activity, um, baptisms and, you know, and, and there was not confirmation yet, but, but baptisms and the first time people celebrated Eucharist um, were drawn into the Easter Vigil. So the Easter Vigil does not or originate as, we got to bring people into the church. Let's do it in a fancy way. We're going to make all kinds of readings and, do, and make, the, let, make the Mass last forever and everybody will love it. Um, no, it, it was in existence because Tertullian, who's an, who's an ancient church father, and he kind of got crazy after a while, but but he had a good things to say about baptism. And basically, he always said, you know, you don't need the Easter Vigil to baptize. If someone wants to be baptized and they're ready, do it. You know, so anytime was a good time for baptizing, according to Tertullian. But as the church becomes more formalized, you know, and, and institutionalized in not bad way, in a good way, um, the Easter Vigil becomes a centerpiece. And because of that, baptisms are, are drawn to that. The same. That's a little off the side. The same way in which the ordination to diaconate and, and and priesthood becomes linked with the ember tides, because again, these individuals who are meant to guide people, you know, it, to see the recreative activity of God in all ways, all shapes, and times, it would be appropriate. It was it was believed to ordain people at at, at these ember tide liturgies around you know around the calendar. So you get two sacramental actions attached to the keeping of vigil, the practice of keeping vigil in the Western church. Um, but initiation becoming a, a core to what the Easter vigil becomes. Because um, that's a third kind of problem with it. 
if people, because it becomes so associated with initiation, you will get some people who say, well, we don't have anybody being baptized. Why bother celebrating the Easter Vigil? No, you silly people. <laughs> you were supposed to do this. Because what you get is, is, is the whole, the, the important points of salvation history. We, we tell our story as a people of faith. And because of the glory of that story and its culmination in the resurrection of Christ from the dead and the death of everything that makes us less than human or unhuman or, or unable to become human, we celebrate the Eucharist. Um, and, and, and because... Because, because that is the natural progression of where salvation history leads, is, is to this meal that unites us to Christ and to each other. And so, you know, you put that kind of all together like that. Um, the, the, the one great thing about the Easter Vigil, again, that most people don't realize, uh, Advent is often seen as this time in which uh, we look at towards the end of time, the end of the world. You know, uh, we always have the first reading or the, the gospel on the first Sunday of Advent is always a gospel about the end of time. And so we always think, well, that's we're waiting for Christ to be born again because that'll bring in the, the end of the world and, and, and the return of Christ. That's not really true. That's not that, that not that's not where the prayers are leading us. That's not what we're talking about in Advent Christmas cycle. The true, you know, uh, uh, context or the the, the 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 true point in our calendar in which we await for the return of Christ is the Easter Vigil, which is why you celebrate it, uh, because it, it is the hope that on this night, which is different than all other nights, and on this night, which in which God changes the course of human history, um, he he will return, and we baptize people. The reason why baptism becomes attached to that too is because you want as many people present to welcome Christ when he returns. But when he doesn't, we have the Eucharist, where he is returning. <laughs> so, so it kind of, kind of, it works in this wonderful, beautiful, poetic way like this. Um, but, um, but yeah, so that, that, that's the overview of it. Um, did you want to look at, you want to look at some parts of it <laughs> or other questions? So we have all this symbolism that's there. Yeah. <clears throat> you have this, this whole thing with the, the new fire. Yes. And yeah. the, the, the Paschal candle. Yes. Yeah. And then the various other symbols that are a part of this. Could you, could you kind of take the, take us a bit through some of the, all, all because it, it can be overwhelming for some people who are not, not used to it. And they just kind of wander in thinking yeah. that there might be, that this was, you know, a typical Saturday night mass and suddenly everyone's standing <laughs> outside and thinking that they're going to, you know, oh, we, we don't have time because the lamb's got to be cooked in the morning. So we're going to get this done tonight. Oh no, what am I doing here? <laughs> well, that's, that's one of the things it's like, usually the, so the Easter vigil is never, ever supposed to happen at the typical time for a Saturday night mass, which is why you'll get people showing up for five or four, whenever the Saturday night mass is, and then getting very angry because it's not there. And, and why did we know this? Well, we, it was in the bulletin for about eight weeks. <laughs> Nobody bothered to read. Um, and, and that was one of the things, again, I, I, you learn kinds of things when you're in the jobs that you are. And I never knew this, but when I became director of divine worship, one of my tasks at this time of the year is to alert the diocese as to the hour at which the Easter vigil can begin. And according to the calculations that I had to look up and things like that, it cannot begin any earlier than nautical twilight. What the heck that is, I don't know, but there's a time for it. And and this year, because April because um, April 17th is so late um, and we've gone through daylight savings time and everything else like that already, nautical twilight begins at nine. 
And so you're not oh. supposed to have the Easter vigil any earlier than 9 p.m. Well, I got all kinds of squawking that say, we can't go, it's too late. So, okay, make it 8.30 or 8 o'clock. Just make sure it's dark. And, and again, it's dark because of, of, of the sense in which God, this is, this is the context out of which God is going to recreate. And so this fire, um, again, when God calls forth light out of darkness, that fire is supposed to express that. And the idea is that the fire is supposed to be burning, according to the Roman Missal now. In the Middle Ages, the fire blazes as soon as the assembly is gathered around it, which which is much more powerful. It's perhaps a little too dramatic or special effecty, um, but it is supposed to be a blazing large fire. It is not sterno cans. I will I will take sterno cans and I will throw them against the wall because I've seen that happen so many times. Um, uh, but it is supposed yeah, to be. This is. Now, yeah. This is usually where you hear these the the stories of. I feel like when you you know the, you priests you priests you know fathers get together and we talk about yeah we pulled out the uh, the charcoal and the, the we got the old the, the old barbecue from the garage and you know was, yes the, the hibachi grill that little thing and then we decided to roast wieners on it I said no 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 it's, you want to have it has to be something that is apart from the space so it should not be in the church it should be apart from the space you know so, somehow some way. To allow a procession, you know, in again the idea that we are still always on a journey. We are a pilgrim people. Uh, there are many songs about that, and so the sense in which this light, this this great light that 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 comes out in of the darkness, um, is, is a symbol of that. And there are non-Christian connotations too. Again, that at this time of the year of lighting of lighting these large bonfires, especially in um, England and Ireland and other Scandinavian countries, basically to manifest the fact that winter was dead. You know, and to light a fire to destroy winter and to show that spring is here and those kinds of things like that. Again, very powerful cosmological connections, which is really a part of, of, of who and what we are as believers in so many ways. But have you blessed this fire? Because, again, the understanding is also that every light has been extinguished in, in, in the church itself. Uh, because, again, it's, it's that sense of the, the approaching death of Christ and the fact that Christ is dead. Um, and again, this is where Good Friday is a moment. Key, indispensable, but a moment that leads to this. And again, there should be a dramatic shift from what Good Friday is to this moment of this fire blazing and everybody gathering around it. Um, again, it's overwhelming uh, because, again, this is where you can look at, you know, poetic um, understandings of some words. The Greek word for baptism is baptizein. That's the verb. Bat- baptizein can mean to wash, to put in water, you know, to, to put water over something, et cetera, et cetera. In its most poetic form, though, it means to overwhelm. And so not just for those who are being baptized to be overwhelmed by seeing this thing, but also for all the baptized who have gathered with them, this should be an overwhelming moment that brings to mind, this is what my baptism means, and this is what I'm about, and this is what's so powerful. So the fire is blessed, and then a candle is lit. You know, a big candle, you know, humongous candle, not a, not a little, not just a little taper, but a humongous candle and a candle that upon which is etched, you know, the the, the, the fundamental facts, you know, of, of who and what we are or who leads us to, to whom it is that we belong. Um, and, and again, this, it's the Paschal candle. It is the Christ candle. Again, there are Christ candles in Christmas, but no, those aren't. This is the Christ candle. Um, uh, it represents Christ uh, rising in darkness. And there is a statement that is made when the candle is lit. 
But on it, you know, there, there has to be a cross of some way, shape, or form. There has to be the date. And that means that each year there has to be a new candle. Even if you didn't light it this past year, get a new candle. Um, it has to be a new candle every year. And why? Because it is the sense in which as it burns down, time passes, which means we are ever closer to the fulfillment of that moment in Christ is all in all. Um, and so, so we have to see that this year has passed, a new year now dawns. Um, on a, it, within that uh, cross with the date on it, um, atop of it is an alpha, the, the letter alpha, the Greek letter alpha, and then the, below it, the Greek letter omega, the last letter of the, um, uh, of the Greek alphabet. Because again, Christ is that, uh, the, the beginning and the end. To him belong all ages, you know, all times, all whatever. It, it, you, you bless this candle and make a statement Again, that we belong to Christ. Everything belongs to Christ. Um, it is not political powers and countries and nationalities and ethnicities and cultures and whatever it is. Everything belongs to Christ. Um, and it's a powerful statement to make that. Um, and you point out these things on this candle for people to realize. You insert in five places grains of incense, which are kind of like in these little wax knobs that can be very pretty and things like that. Um, and they represent, again, the five wounds you know, of, of Christ. And you say, you know, by his holy and glorious wounds, may Christ guard us and keep us. Again, it's, it's the sense in which we, we are to be reminded you know, just what is it that Christ can do for us? You know, it's like, and what does it really mean to be a part of this life of Christ? Um, he, he's not just, you know, the one I wish on because I want a pony for Christmas or something like that. Uh, he is the one who who, who sustains all things. Um, and this candle is lit, you know, with a flourish because of that. Um, and then it leads the, the assembly and all the assembly should be outside and should lead the assembly now into the assembly hall, the church, where now our story is going to be told. As it goes through, individual candles that we have are lit from that. Um, and all light should come from that candle now. The, the bonfire was the beginning, but now it goes to one light, and then from that come many lights. Um, and then we sing, we, we, we go into the church, we place the candle into a stand, and then we sing a song to it, uh, which is basically, that, that, that's the, the, the Paschal Proclamation, it's the Exaltet, uh, it's a song to the candle. Um, and it's a song about what it is that this candle is doing on this night, making this night different, again, than, ever, than any other night. And you go through this wonderful refrain about this is the night, you know, when 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 uh, light broke darkness. This is the night, you know, that that set Israel free. This is the night where uh, the, the Egyptians, you know, were, were destroyed and and Israel goes dry shod through the Red Sea. This is the night. This is the night. This is the night. And it's it's this repetition of this that's supposed to get into our heads that something fantastic is happening here. And this is not just, you know, um, 1030 mass on the 13th Sunday in ordinary time where everyone is kind of like, the same homily again. And so, 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 no, this is something new and different. And it's, and, 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 and the power within that, you know, it's incense, the, the song, it should be sung. It could be read, but it should never be read. It should be sung by somebody. Um, and it should be sung by somebody who understands what the power is being said there. And it, this, the, the exalted, the song ends, you know, it's like, um, may Christ, when he returns, you know, find this candle shining brightly, you know, Christ, you know, the light of lights, who, whose resurrection destroyed death forever, you know, may, 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 may he come to greet this candle and us, you know, gather around it. It's, it's, it's stirring, you know, and this is at the very beginning, you know, so there, there is 
no point in the liturgy where we say, oh, he's risen from the dead, because again, there's nothing in scripture that says, and at this moment, Christ rose from the dead. It's it's from the very beginning. The, as soon as the thing, as soon as the bonfire bursts in the flame, you know, it's it, it's Easter. It, it, resurrection has occurred. Um, after we, you know, place that candle in, in its stand, um, basically we tell our story. We, we tell the story of who and what we are. Um, and there's a wonderful, um, there was a wonderful person who, uh, a, a liturgical theologian who, who wrote uh, a piece one time uh, that basically linked the telling of our story to that moment. If you know the Lord of the Rings, I'm probably going off on this, but if you know the Lord of the Rings, there, there are these things called hobbits, which are tiny little people sort of things. Um, and they meet in a, in a, in a wooded area, um, a kind of caretaker of the woods called Treebeard. Um, but Treebeard is not his name. His name is much more complex and long. And he, and, and the, um, the, the, the two hobbits, you know, basically state their names to him readily. And he responds with, that's a little bit too hasty uh, because my name is very long. It would take a very long time for me to tell you my full name uh, be, because it carries a lot of history and uh, emotion and experience and dynam dynamism, whatever with it. You know, your name is not just a flat name. It is complex. Well, he linked that to really this, the reason why we have seven readings, um, and which is not the reason, but, but, but a wonderful way of understanding the seven readings, uh, because they tell our name, uh, and it takes a long time to tell our name. And so it isn't, it should never be, this name that has told us is never something that should be done, okay, reading Psalm, next reading, reading Psalm, next reading, let's get this done quickly. That they're supposed to be, and, and in the ancient experience of the Easter Vigil, there was time to reflect and and to and to think about what was just proclaimed, and then the psalm would begin. And after the psalm was ended, more time to reflect. And and there was kind of a coming and going back and forth among people. You know, if if they needed to use the bathroom or they needed to just take a break, the story was still going to be told, and they could come and return. You know, as as as, as they needed to. Um, pews make this very difficult at times because you're locked in a pew. Uh, but the, the understanding of our story um, from in the beginning uh, to the dry bones that will rise, um, because that is where everything, you know, that in the beginning doesn't end in death. In the beginning ends with more life than we, we could ever imagine. Um, seven readings, because again, that's the, the, the recreative number. Actually, six is the recreative number. Seven, God rests. But, but six readings... Before that, though, the earliest the earliest examples we have of the Easter Vigil, there were four readings, um, and the there's only two that we retain um, uh, today: uh, Genesis and Exodus, the Red Sea crossing. The most ancient system had Isaiah four, which was the return from the return of Israel from exile, um, and then Deuteronomy thirty one, uh, which was Moses basically saying to the people, "Look, I give you life or death." You know, you saw what this guy can do, this God can do. Uh, you choose life because there's nothing, you know, after that. So um, those are those are jarring. And again, none of them have to deal with uh, baptism. Uh, they, they are about recreative activity and recommitting ourselves once again to trying to live this life of faith a little bit better maybe than we had the past year. Um, so it is a part in a lot of ways like this is our new year. Um, and among the ancients at times, you know, March was, was and the Roman calendar goes all over the place sometimes, but 
it, it, at some point, March was the first month of the year, um, which is why if you count, you get to seven September if March is the first month of the year. October is the eighth if March is the first month of the year. So the sense in which springtime is appropriate for beginning again and anew. Um, we are we we look at it now as Advent as as our New Year, and that's when everything's dying, which is a, again a wonderful kind of contradiction. And how you work that out is interesting, but. Um, but but it is. I mean, the the the, the fascinating. We, we 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 do Genesis, uh, creation. There's the sacrifice of Abraham. There is uh, the crossing of the Red Sea. Um, there is um, the, the the springs of water. The um, come to the waters. Um, there's the Baruch reading, which is a little bit odd. There's uh, there's the Ezekiel reading. Um, all of that kind of ties into to kind of make a point. Of our um, of, of our faith and, and what our faith can do, what our, what our faith can be for us. The most important reading, which most people, which has to be done, and again, you only you know this if you read about it. The most important reading is always Exodus. So you can reduce the readings, which I will never, ever, ever agree to. Uh, you can reduce the readings if need be, and it has to be because there's an asteroid coming to destroy all of us, and we can't do the full Easter vigil. So just reduce the readings then. That's the only way I will ever permit a reduction of the readings. But the one reading that always has to take place is the Red Sea. Now, this is where it gets tricky. Because we can look at the Red Sea and say, uh, yay, God kills the evil Egyptians. Yay, yay, they're all dead. They wash up on the shore. Israel goes through the sea, you know, with, without any, any 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 harm or anything else like that. And God makes the makes the waves come back on the Egyptians and they all die. And, and they sing a song when they see all the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Now, again, it's the Easter vigil. It may be already 10 o'clock at night, depending on when you start this thing. And everybody's kind of like this. And they're all, they're all asleep or whatever it is. And we can miss... Really, the real problematic in some ways or frightening statement that that reading is making, because God constantly says that God is a God of love. God loves everybody, and Jesus tells us that all the time. So, what about these Egyptians? And 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 this is and this is where, if you look at that narrative of crossing the Red Sea, um, they realize, and, and and this is proclaimed. The Egyptians realize that God is fighting for the for the Israelites and not for them, and they sound the retreat. Then it goes on saying that God clogs their wheels in the mud, which all of a sudden appears, you know, uh, in, in, in the dry riverbed, and they can't, and they are stuck there. And then God tells Moses very calmly, put your staff out over the sea so that the waters fall back upon the Egyptians. They're trapped. They were retreating. And God kills them, and then the chilling one-liner, not a single one of them escaped. Okay, sing a song. The Egyptians were terrible, awful people, you know, but they had families. And what about their families? And what about, again, what does it mean following orders, you know, soldiers who don't know any better, whatever, whatever. God is love, God is love, God is love. The thing about it is, is not, don't, don't stand up and say, yay for the Israelites, Egyptians are evil. It is, don't play around with this God. That this God is more than you understand and can imagine. And even in all this wonderful glory, do never forget that this is God and not some kind of domesticated tabby cat that you can pet on your lap, as some people sometimes look at God as being. Um, and so that reading has to be read to sort of shake us up and realize, again, what is happening on this night, that this is the night, this is the night, this is the night. It is, it's, it's, it's fascinating, but... This is where catechesis really has to get 
in, involved with all of this. So people truly are can be aware and and reflect or whatever it is on, on, on really what it is that they're experiencing within this, you know? So you 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 proclaim, I mean, the wonderful thing that the the third edition of the Roman Missal, they, I don't agree with what they decided to do with this. It's the lights, the church should always be dim. It, it should be in, in total darkness in one way, lit by only the candle um, and maybe lights if, as necessary. The third edition of the Roman Missal says after the exultant, all the lights go on. The second edition said after the Gloria, the lights go on. I prefer to look at the Gloria because it's too soon. It's 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 too soon. Um, and, and and so sitting in that kind of semi darkness and listening to these readings, they move to that moment after that last reading in which the, again another exclamation point upon resurrection. The Gloria sounds, and for the first time you know, since since the beginning of Lent, although we have Saint Joseph and we have Annunciation with the Gloria then, uh, but. Uh, but but the Gloria resounds, the lights go on, and everybody should be shocked, you know, out of if they have been sleeping or whatever it is. The fact that the lights are all of a sudden are on should, should awaken them to something now new happening within this. Um, and so epistle and gospel, hopefully a homily that relates this in some way. Um, uh, but then we move, if there is initiation, we, we then move to initiation. Uh, because it, again, it's always after scripture has been read, we then go and do basically what scripture calls us to do. Um, and, 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 and so this whole idea about coming to the water um, is now done tangibly. You know, among the, If there is no um, uh, 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 initiation to happen, the thing that needs to happen is the assembly needs to uh, uh, recommit again uh, by re- restating the baptismal vows. Um, and, and, and that takes the place of all that initiation by the committee, the, the uh, community recommitting itself again. And then sprinkled with holy water uh, to, to that, that that has you know that 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 has been blessed you know uh, be, because of, uh, of of this night above all nights um, and you know with that you know you you then proceed to the very first Eucharist of, of Easter um, because now again this hope of Christ coming well there's no but well while it didn't happen in the physical way it happens in the physical way now at at at, at this table. Um, but with initiation, you get this whole idea. You you need to see these people overwhelmed, you know, by this, you know. So um, to baptize in in John the Baptist's baby kiddie pool mm, doesn't work, uh, or or to baptize even worse in, ba- in in John the Baptist's punch bowl is even worse. Um, they 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 should get wet, and why? Because faith is messy. It's it, it's not clean. You know, there are there are so many things that we go through in our life as people of faith, and we just don't. You know, uh, it, it isn't just a bubble that we live in. Um, there are ups and downs and hills and valleys and moving forward eight steps and going back 15 steps. You know, it's messy. And so baptism shows us that people get wet. You know, um, we you can dunk them underwater if you've got thing to do that. You pour water over them, a bucket over them. Let them know the overwhelming nature of this, you know, um, to, to them be... Uh, chrismated confirmation after that, um, it should be poured over them. Uh, you could do the forehead, it's nice, but the, the the whole idea is that they should be coated in this. And and the thing that is wonderful about it is that uh, John Chrysostom, uh, no, no, Peter Chrysogolus, writes um, about the, the Church of Constantinople that after 
because because baptism would, was always done in a separate place because it was done you were naked um and so and so and then once you were clothed with the baptismal garment the white garment you 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 and coated with the oil you would then be marched into the church and marched into the church with the singing of the uh daniel canticle um that is um sunday of week one morning prayers daniel canticle um praise the lord you know whatever 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 um uh and he writes, Peter Chrysogolus writes, that as the newly baptized who had been chrismated walked into the church, the assembly would be reaching out to touch them, to get some of the oil to put onto them. And again, this wonderful, tangible physicalness, again, we, we make everything so neat and tidy and, you know, and God forbid we use a Q-tip to chrismate. Never, ever do that. That's another thing that really irks me. Um, again, Pandemic notwithstanding, uh, but uh, people were doing that even before the pandemic. Um, but but the power of this and the and the important thing about the white garment, because this is going into a baptism thing. But the important thing about the white garment, it's not because white is pure. White is because white is pure in Western culture. It means death in in Asian culture. Um, it's not about that. It was because white garments, ancient church in, in the ancient world, were made out of linen, linen flax which was something that died in the winter and came back in, 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 in the spring and summer. It, it was an eternal kind of plant made into a fabric that signified eternity, that they put on eternity. They didn't put on purity because we're not. We make mistakes all the time. But to be able to put on eternity is 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 profound you know they they wore eternity into the church and this is what we do with our newly baptized at the easter vigil they are putting on eternity not purity um and it, it just moves it, it, it moves you into wonder and, and and beauty because of that well if our listeners were not overwhelmed before they are certainly <laughs> overwhelmed now um which I think is, uh, I, I just sat back and, and, and listened in awe, and I, I, I appreciate that. But <laughs> I never get there, a chance to say any of this, Chris. This is, is there, wonderful. <laughs> is there, is there um, anything, Kate, Father, uh, that we need to touch on, or did we get it all? <laughs> I what were those questions again? Yeah. <laughs> I think I was just going to ask for our listeners – like, how can we take all of this and and sit with it? But also, how can we live out Easter now that we've either experienced the vigil or the mass? Yeah. How yeah. can all of, you know, all of us that have been waiting in anticipation for these great mysteries throughout Lent, mm-hmm. how can we make that transition into the Easter season and celebrate it well? well that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question, Kate. Um I think that the first thing to realize is that it's a tremendous challenge. Um, uh, we love Lent because because it, it it ties in something that we're all that we all experience. Your brokenness. Do we love Lent? Well, well <laughs> we, we love to get into it. I mean, we we all stand around and get our ashes. We need to do that. We give up whatever. We eat fish on our Fridays. It's just so orderly because again, you know, sin, brokenness, whatever, whatever. Yeah, it's all a reality. Yeah. But the truth is again that the one who is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, all ages, all times belong to Him makes all of that new, changes everything. And the fact that Easter is 50 days, 10 more than Lent, is kind of a first thing we've got to wrap ourselves around. The problem with it, though, is that Easter 
gets lost. You know, after the first week, the first couple of days, we think of Easter as a day and it's not. It's it's a season. Um, and and that's so key. But in the in America, prim- primarily in, in in the West, you then begin to compete with Mother's Day. You compete with Memorial Day, beginning of summer vacations. You begin to compete with um, uh, graduations from co- from college or high school or whatever it is. Um, life moves on, and and it's it's sad and it's unjust, you know, to us. The fact that we are told to stand tall and not kneel. That's what the ancient writers said throughout the entire Easter season needs to be taken seriously uh, because because Christ has fixed everything. It's about us realizing that and 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 living it, living the reality. You know what ends sin and brokenness? Not a bunch of penances, perhaps, but it's trying to realize the fact that Christ has changed human history, the course of human history. And again, how we live that out is is something for us, you know, to kind of consider. Which is why you have fifty days to kind of unpack all of that, you know, and 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 to think about it. Um, the big thing is always what is central to us. And again, you could say, like for the ancients, um, what drew people to Christianity were not dogmas, you know. It wasn't the immaculate conception. Um, it was the fact that Christians were unafraid. Um, and, be, and, be, and they were unafraid because, again, the reality of what Christ and the Christ event brings to humanity is that life does not move from life to death. Life moves from death to life always, you know, and, and, and because because that is that's the Paschal mystery, death to life, death mm-hmm. to life. And we don't we don't remember that because of that. Christians were not afraid. Uh, the early Christians are not afraid, and and that became a, the most profound witness, you know, to mm-hmm. to the ancient world. Mm-hmm. And so much so that one of the things that 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 was probably said in some ways was the question that the Christians would give to non Christians: Are you afraid? Are you afraid of tomorrow? Are you afraid of plagues and violence? Are you afraid of not mattering or not or not amounting to anything? Well, then come away with us, because we're not afraid. Mm-hmm. We're not afraid, and we will show you and teach you how not to be afraid. Mm-hmm. And, and and I guess and that has that's got to be sort of the big and like in our world today where just one more fear pops up after another and another and another, we are called to be witnesses of not being afraid. We're not stupid. We're not stupid. We are wise. We are not naive. We are wise. And it's out of that kind of wisdom that not being afraid, you know, is is, is able to have a power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 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 that's you know that's you know what does it mean to celebrate Easter? You know, in twenty. 22 with all these things happening around us but it, it means that we need because we need to remember you know what we're made of um and and again whom we're made of you know um uh that that connection to the risen christ which, which changes everything um you know and 50 days to unpack that mm-hmm. really great thank you mm-hmm. thank you very much father jim Thank you very much, Father Jim. It has been uh, quite the pleasure talking with you on the podcast, and I hope that our listeners uh, are not only uh, educated and edified, but entertained uh, by uh, by this episode. So th- this wraps up uh, another episode of On Mission from the Catholic Apostolate Center. Uh, be sure to like, review, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can find this and all of our Center podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, or on our special podcast website, catholicapostolatecenterpodcast.com.